0: Some teams are just not in control of their own destiny at the moment because they haven't played enough quality competition. Hello and welcome to Always College Football. I'm Greg McElroy. Thank you so much for being with us. Today is Wednesday, October 25th, and we hope that you guys are having a terrific day. Wherever you're consuming the show, if you could, just take a half second to like, rate, and subscribe. So if you're on Spotify, if you're on Apple Podcasts, if you subscribe to the podcast, that'd mean a lot. Leave us a rating, leave us a review, especially on Apple Podcasts. We read those and we appreciate it. And if you're on the ESPN YouTube channel, hit that thumbs up button, subscribe to the ESPN College Football channel. It means an awful lot to us. We have an awesome show for you today because I'm really tired of this. I feel like we, for whatever reason, we prop teams up based on what they've accomplished in their past. I'm done with that. I'm, I'm over it. I don't care about your recruiting rankings. I don't care about the eye test. At least not today. Not today. Because what we're going to do, no one else does it this way. What we're going to do is we're going to throw out the recruiting rankings. We're going to throw out what you've accomplished in your historical past. We are going to judge you based on what you've accomplished to this point. So we are going to give you a rankings a ranking of teams one through 16 teams that are undefeated and teams that have one loss. They're all power five teams. So spoiler alert, if you're hoping to get two lane in the top 16, we don't have you there with all due respect to the two lane green wave, nor do we have air force, nor do we have James Madison love all you guys immensely. But what we're going to do is we are going to remove the brand bias. We're going to remove the helmet and the colors And we are going to evaluate you exclusively on your resume. Who have you beaten? Are they good wins? Are they great wins? Are they adequate wins? Are they average wins? Were they at home? Were they away? We're going to do some blind resumes and we're going to rank them accordingly. And there's going to be some people that are very, very upset. And we acknowledge that. We shoulder that burden and we hope you don't hold it, hold us, you know, hope we don't take it personal. (laughs) It's nothing personal because a lot of times you're not in control of your own resume. You're can only control what you can control. And for instance, Michigan, you're not number one. Not on this ranking, at least. Why? Because no one you've played up to this point would strengthen your resume enough to jump some of the teams in front of you. So let's not waste any time. Let's get to our unbiased rankings right here on Always College Football. I know for a long time, people on national networks, and and I'm one of them, okay? So I'm not trying to, like, cast stones in a glassed house here, okay? I get it. But there's long been a lot of confusion surrounding what the college football playoff committee has given us in the past. They always say the four best teams, correct? It's always four best. Well, it's never really been the four best, right? It's always been the four that they can most easily justify. And there are aspects that weigh in that shouldn't weigh in, frankly. It should be about your resume, who you beat, how you looked in the process, and To be honest with you, unless you're Nebraska over the last handful of years, close losses shouldn't count. They just shouldn't. They should be about who you beat, whether it's by one or 100. Wins should matter. Losses should count, and you should not get credit for close losses. So what we've decided to do here, we've always on Wednesdays, at least for the last handful of weeks, we've gone through it, and we've given you teams, and we've grouped them up. We've called it our college football playoff eliminator. And the way we've kind of phrased it that way is because we started with 38 teams week three. At that point, there were 38 teams that we thought could potentially make the college football playoff. And we have whittled it down a little bit as teams have lost. And now that we are eight, nine weeks into the season, we have at least a decent understanding of some of these resumes. Now, a lot of these resumes are incomplete, and some of the teams are going to be victimized because their resumes incomplete. Some, for instance, Michigan, strengthens a little bit down the road, but... We wanted to do what's right by college football fans, okay? This is right by college football fans, by ranking teams based on what they've accomplished, not by their recruiting rankings, not by their eye test, not by how many fans they have or how many national championships they've won over the course of their history. We are removing the brand bias, here on Always College Football. And you can maybe push back on this. You can disagree with this. But let's be real. Brand bias is a real thing. Because there are several teams that get propped up annually and yet fail to live up to expectations annually. And there are several that knock down the door and figure it out. So we, and I think you guys know, at least at this point, I think you guys probably know me enough by now, that I don't care. Like I just want to call it how I see it. And I will always be that way, and some people get mad about it, and some people will respect me for it. But at least I can look myself in the mirror knowing that I've called it the way I see it. And it's not always true. It's not always accurate. I've been wrong a million times. But we figured we felt like college football fans deserved an unbiased, resume-based ranking. You ready to go for it? Let's do it. In at number one, the best resume in college football. The Florida State Seminoles. They have two great wins by our estimation. That would be week one against six and two, current ranked number 15 LSU, 45-24, completely routed them in the second half, and week eight against five and two, currently ranked number 20 Duke Blue Devils it was a convincing fourth quarter performance they also have a good win at their disposal on the road at four and three Clemson now you can say well Clemson's not a good win it was at the time sure but we're not going to give credit for those at the time but we qualify a good win as a team that's four and three or better in a power five league so Clemson's a good win guess what else is week seven against Syracuse a convincing 41-3 victory now they have a couple notable games upcoming against five and two Miami and on the road at five and two Florida but right now based on what they've accomplished up to this point the best resume in college football is the Florida State Seminoles. The second best resume in college football is the Ohio State Buckeyes. They have two great wins. In week four, going on the road to 6-2 and two Notre Dame and winning the game 17-14. And then week eight, most recently, against 6-1, and one, current ranked number 10 Penn State course, that was a more convincing score than the final score might indicate. I thought it was a dominant performance in every stretch of the imagination. So two great wins for Ohio State, but they also have two good wins at their disposal as well. Five and two Maryland, great second half performance to beat them convincingly by 20 points. And they also beat four and three Western Kentucky. So they also have a couple notables too on the road at Wisconsin this week at Rutgers. And then of course, at Michigan on the final week of the regular season. So second best resume belongs to the Buckeyes. Third best resume, the Oklahoma Sooners. They have a great win against six and one Texas. Of course, forced three turnovers, goal line stand, had the 75-yard drive and five plays from final minute of the game to hit Nick Anderson for the game-winning touchdown pass. They also have two good wins that we are qualifying at the moment. That'd be week two against five and two SMU. They won twenty-eight and eleven. And then week five against Iowa State. Iowa State is currently. 4-3. and three. Remember, they scored 29 unanswered points there in the second half of that game to win the game convincingly, 52-20. Some notable notable hurdles for Oklahoma to overcome in the near term. They have three really difficult road games, I think, in the remainder of the season at Kansas, at Oklahoma State in Bedlam a week from Saturday, at BYU on November 18th. Be careful there. West Virginia comes to them and TCU comes to them as well. Non-conference, not great for Oklahoma against Arkansas State, SMU, and Tulsa, but SMU is holding up at least at the moment. Number four, based on resume, the Georgia Bulldogs. They have no great wins at the moment and just one good win. That would be against 5-2 and two Kentucky, and that was a convincing victory for sure, beating them down 51-13 in a game that felt really sideways from the very beginning. Do have some notable, difficult games coming up, I might add. A lot of people saying, well, Georgia's schedule is a cakewalk. I, I don't necessarily agree with that. You think it's a cakewalk because of how you perceive Georgia. Because if you, let's say, fill in the blank university, had to play at, you know, Ole Miss, who's six and one, Missouri, who's six and one, Florida, who's five and two, and at five and two, Tennessee. I think a lot of people would look at that four-game slate between October 28th and November 18th and say that's a pretty dang difficult stretch. And that's the stretch that George is about to embark on. So five and two Florida, six and one Missouri, six and one Ole Miss, five and two Tennessee. That's four straight games for the Bulldogs. So their schedule will strengthen drastically here in the month of November. But as of right now, their resume qualifies a number four ranking. At number five, Washington Huskies, they have a great win, a great win against 6-1 and one Oregon, who at the moment, I think holding up pretty well. But I'll explain why that win might not look as good as it does right now. They also have a good win against Arizona, at Arizona, I might add. Arizona is currently 4-3. and three. They, of course, go to USC. They have Utah coming to them. They go to Oregon State, and they have Washington State in the Apple Cup in the month of November. So it's a difficult stretch down the road. The reason, You're going to sit there and say, well, hang on, the Oregon win is better than the Kentucky win. I don't disagree with you. I understand that to an extent, but I'll explain why Oregon, even though they're number eight in the AP poll, might be a little bit overrated based on their current resume. So hang in there just a minute. And at number six, the team with the weakest schedule so far that is currently undefeated. That would be the Michigan Wolverines. They would rank number six based on their resume. Now, if I want to go off eye test, eye test, right? That's a big term that we always hear. Eye test. Can they pass the eye test? Game control metric. All these other things. Yeah. Michigan, I think currently, if I had to pick anyone in the country to win the national championship, I've taken Michigan. I think they're the best team. I think the most complete team. But Their resume does not justify being ranked higher than number six at the moment. Their best wins are against six and one UNLV. That was in week two. And then week four against six and two Rutgers. And if you look at Rutgers stretch, they're probably not going to be a win that's going to hold up real well down the stretch. Now, they have some notable games at Penn State on November 11th. They're at Maryland on November 18th. And then, of course, Ohio State comes to them on the final Saturday of November. So it's a very difficult three-game stretch to finish the year for Michigan. If they get those wins, they'll obviously be vaulted up. But as of right now, it's almost impossible to justify having them ranked ahead of any of the aforementioned teams based on resume. Non-conference games against East Carolina, UNLV, and Bowling Green, you're not going to win in the court of public opinion, at least not with me. Let's get to the one-loss teams, okay? Okay the one-loss teams, and there's a bunch of them. There's 10 that we're going to go through right now that I think a lot of these teams and the order that we have them in are going to really surprise you. Okay, I'm just going to read off some of the resumes before I give you the team. So We're going to do, I guess, a little bit of a blind resume because I don't want you to think that there is some preconceived bias that's being weighed in here. All right? This team that's ranked number seven has a win against a team that's currently 7-1 at that team. And they also have a good win at home against a 5-2 conference opponent and a 5-2 non-conference opponent. They also have a really, really difficult loss to stomach against a team that's currently ranked in our top six. That would be the Texas Longhorns. They are the top one loss team based on resume right now. And the thing that kind of pushes them up, props them up naturally is the win against current number 11, Alabama. Number 11 in the AP poll. When you hear me reference teams' numbers, that's where they're at in the AP poll. They obviously outgained Alabama by nearly 100 yards. They forced a couple of interceptions and they outscored Alabama 21-8 in the fourth quarter alone. But what strengthens the resume even more is that Kansas is currently five and two. Wyoming is five and two. Granted, the loss to Oklahoma hurts, but they've done enough with what they've actually done as far as wins are concerned to justify being the top ranked number uh, top ranked one loss team at the moment. Let's go to the second ranked one loss team, aka team number eight. This team has a great win against a conference opponent that is currently six and one. This team has a couple of good wins against a conference opponent that is currently five and two and on the road at a conference opponent that is currently four and three difficult loss. I might add to a team that we've already mentioned that team, the Alabama Crimson Tide great win. Against 6-1 and Ole Miss, who is currently number 13 in the AP poll. They go on the road to College Station, get a win against the Aggies. And then most recently, they take care of 5-2 and Tennessee, who's currently ranked 21st in the AP poll. Of course, the loss to Texas has to be weighed in, which is a big reason why Texas, of course, is right in front of Alabama and likely won't be jumped by the tide unless Texas falls out of favor and loses a couple games down the stretch. Here's where it gets really, really interesting. I don't think there's going to be a lot of teams that push back, by the way, on... Texas being at seven, Bama being at eight. Are you ready for this? Team number nine, the third ranked one loss team. This team has a great win against a team that is currently six and one. And that was a relatively convincing win, by the way, 21 to seven. They have a good win against a team that is currently five and two, both of which, by the way, are in their conference. And their loss was a difficult one against a team that's currently four and three on the road. They lost that game by three, but at one point they were down by twenty-one. Of course, allowed a touchdown on the second play from scrimmage. And they have some notable games coming up, but this team is the Oregon State Beavers. Now you're gonna sit there and say, well, Oregon State, hang on a second, whoa, 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 hang on a second. Oregon State's beaten Utah, who is currently six and one. Twenty one to seven. They've also beaten UCLA, who's currently five and two, and they did so convincingly. They're in Corvallis, 36 to 24. They lost to Washington State. That was a tough one. They got down in a big hole early, climbed their way back, but it wasn't enough to beat the Cougs. They're in week number four. But Oregon State's resume is actually the third best given the win against Utah and the win against UCLA amongst the one-loss teams. Now, Brand bias would never let you tell let me tell you that, but when you look at the resume, it certainly holds up. Team number 10. This team has a great win against a six-and-two conference foe that's currently ranked in the top 15 in the AP poll. They have a good win and against a non-conference foe on the road, who's currently ranked in the top 25. And they have a very difficult loss. Against a team that we've already listed so far. That team, the Miss Rebels. And while it hasn't always been pretty for Lane Kiffin's bunch, it's actually been in some ways difficult to watch sometimes because they are a little bit up and down and a little bit ebb and flow, both offensively and defensively. Offensively against Alabama, defensively against LSU. But either way, they get the win against LSU, who's garnering an awful lot of favor in recent weeks among the AP poll voters. They also went on the road to two lane who I know the game was a 17-point game. It was actually a little closer than that, and Tulane was without Michael Pratt, and they lost to Alabama. But there's not a lot of teams on this list that have wins against two teams ranked in the top 25, one of which is ranked in the top 15, and that game was against the LSU Tigers. So Ole Miss, based on resume alone, they have a great win. Not many teams can say that. They would come in on our unbiased rankings at number 10. At number 11, this team has no great wins at the moment, but three really good wins. They have a win against a 5-2 and two conference opponent. They have a win against a 5-2 and two Power 5 non-conference opponent. And they have a win on the road against a 6-2 and two conference opponent that's currently ranked in the top 25. Three teams, actually, that they've beat are all ranked in the top 26 of the AP poll. They did have a difficult loss against a team that we just listed a moment ago. That came in week five against a team that's currently six and one. That team is the Utah Utes. Week four, they beat UCLA, five and two, who's currently in the top 25. Week one, they beat Florida, who's currently five and two. And then, of course, last week, they went on the road to the Trojans to knock off USC. Their loss came against Oregon State, who's currently six and one. And it was a convincing loss at that. But Utah, with those three really good wins, would be up there in the top 11 as one of the top one loss teams in the country. Not a lot of people reflect this, right? Here's where it gets really crazy, okay? You think it's been crazy up to this point. It only gets crazier, I might add. Much like the last team, team that we have ranked number 12 has no great wins. However, they have 3 good wins, what we would qualify as good wins. They have a win against a non-conference opponent who is currently 5 and 2. That would be in week 3. In week 4, they have a win against a non-conference opponent who's currently 5 and 2. And in week 7, they have a win on the road against a conference opponent that is currently 5 and 2. That's 3 Really good wins for this team. And their loss came against a team that has been qualified as a great win for another team. That team, the Missouri Tigers, who currently sit at 7-1. Three really good wins so far for Missouri. Their one loss, of course, coming against LSU. Final margin was 10 points, but it really was more like 3 we don't count close losses, but I will give them credit for the win against 5-2 and two Kansas State. I will give them credit for the win against 5-2 and two Memphis, and I'll give them credit for going on the road and beating Kentucky the way they did in week number seven. Notice there have been some pretty significant blue bloods that have yet to be listed, right? Why? Because their resume doesn't deserve to be listed ahead of any of the aforementioned teams. Let's get to team number 13. This team has no great wins, one good win, and a win that I think is just okay, and actually kind of worsening as the season goes along. And their good win, by the way, is worsening a little bit as the season goes along as well. This team has a good win against a 6-2 and two team in conference. They beat them badly, I might add. And then in the season opener, they beat a non-conference opponent who's currently 4-3. and three. Their loss came in rather convincing fashion in the last handful of days this team the Penn State Nittany Lions now you're going to say Penn State at 13 what how can you say that who have they beaten who have they beaten it's as simple as that they beat 4 and 3 West Virginia in the season opener and they blanked Iowa who's currently 6 and 2 that's a good win and they get credit for that which is why they're 13 and not 14 15 or 16 but their resume is not better than that of any of the aforementioned teams. Now, would I pick Penn State to beat Missouri? I would. I would. Would I pick Penn State to maybe beat Oregon State? That one's a little bit more up in the air. But Penn State gets propped up because of a close loss. Penn State gets propped up because of really good wins against less quality teams. Penn State, is based on their resume and what they've accomplished, should be 13. At number 14... Here's where it gets a little bit interesting because you have to factor in who some of these teams have lost to and whether or not they have any quality wins to balance out some of the teams that they lost to. At number 14, this team has a great win against a team that's currently ranked in the top 15, according to the AP poll. They have a good win on the road against a conference opponent that is currently 4-3, and three, an average win. If we're going to give average to a West Virginia, we have to give average to this team as well. Because that's exactly what they are. They're very, very average. And their loss, however, came against a really, really bad team. A team that at that point had only won one game, one game, and it was against an FCS opponent. That team is currently two and five. This team, the Louisville Cardinals. Their great win came against Notre Dame, naturally, in convincing fashion. It was 33-13, forced a million turnovers, and Notre Dame had a touchdown there at the very end to make it not look quite as bad, but Notre Dame currently sits at 5-2. and two. Notre Dame has a lot of people's respect. That was a great win for the Louisville Cardinals. They also have a good win against 4-3 and NC State on the road. It wasn't pretty, but they got the win. And they went on the road after the Notre Dame game and lost a 2-5 and pit. Terrible, terrible loss. Terrible loss. But when you take into account Who they beat, they deserve to be at 14 right now. That Notre Dame win stands out amongst the teams that we're going to get to here in just a minute. At number 15, this team currently has no great wins. This team has two average wins against teams that are both four and three. They were both at home and they were both in conference. This team, however, does have a really nice loss, if you want to call it that, against a team that is ranked in our top five. This team, the Oregon Ducks. Now, Oregon, according to the AP poll, is up there in the top seven or eight. I wouldn't push back on that. I think Oregon's really good. And Oregon's schedule will strengthen drastically down the stretch. They go to Utah this week. They, go, uh, they have to play against USC at home, and they play against Oregon State there on November 24th. So their schedule will strengthen drastically down the road. But I'm just telling you now, there is going to be a large contingent of people that will prop up Oregon because they lost close. Losing close should not be a resume builder. Hear me when I say that. Losing close should not be a resume builder. What should be a resume builder is who you beat. And as of right now, Oregon's beaten a four and three Colorado team convincingly I might add but if you've listened to our show I, I don't think any of us are real high on what Colorado's going to do down the stretch and they beat a four and three Washington State last weekend in convincing fashion it was 38-17 prior to the last touchdown that made it look a little bit better and of course their loss came against 7-0 Washington 36-33 where Penix was able to put together a pretty remarkable game-winning drive in just 33 seconds and two plays. I think Oregon's really good, but to justify having them right now flirting with the top seven or eight based on what they've accomplished is just not good enough for me. Like I said, you go on the road to Utah this week, you're going to vault up drastically. You take care of USC at home on the 11th, you're going to vault up drastically. I already told you that I have Oregon State currently based on resume at number nine in college football you take care of business against Oregon State, then you're going to be up there with an opportunity to potentially play Washington again in a Pac-12 title game. But as of right now, your schedule and resume has been pretty dang manageable. Especially when you take into account some of the non-conference games that you played. Texas Tech underperformed that was supposed to be a good win. That's not Oregon's fault. But unfortunately, the resume is certainly not being propped up right now by anything that the Red Raiders are doing. And then finally, the last one-loss team that we're going to rank here in our resume rankings. This team has one good win against a 5-2 and two conference opponent, but they also have one of the worst losses of the season. They don't have a great win. This team is the North Carolina Tar Heels. They beat 5-2 and Miami, 41-31 in Week 7, and then followed it up the following week by losing to 2-5 and Virginia. It's one of the worst losses of the college football season. As a 24-point favorite. Now, they have some notable games upcoming on the road at Georgia Tech. They have Duke. They're at Clemson. They're at NC State. So there's plenty of opportunities for North Carolina to strengthen their resume. And, of course, you run through that gauntlet, you get a chance to potentially play Florida State in the ACC Championship. So North Carolina, I think, Every team that I've talked about, by the way, is still very much in control of their own destiny. Every single team that I've talked about is in control of their own destiny. But we don't need to always prop teams up based on what their brand has accomplished over time. We need to evaluate them as a snapshot of what they've accomplished as of this moment. And I feel like this ranking one through 16 appropriately captures this moment with what some of these teams have done and what some of these teams have failed to do. Some have great wins, some have good wins, some don't have enough to warrant justification of being listed in the top six or seven. So this is not preaching, this is just removing any biased glasses and just telling you and ranking them based on what you've accomplished. And I feel like we've done an adequate job of that. Let's get to midweek mailbag. All right, let's have a little fun. We, we just went through our rankings. I imagine it's remarkably polarizing. I'm not being critical of your team. Some teams are just not in control of their own destiny at the moment because they haven't played enough quality competition. But the good news is, every team I listed, you win out, you win your conference title game, you're likely going to be within striking distance of the college football playoff. You just need the teams that you've beaten to hold up their end of the bargain and to take care of his against quality opponents down the road. So let's get to the mailbag. have a little bit more fun. Dylan Barrett asks, currently, is it Michigan versus the world or Ohio State versus the world? Timely question, (laughs) especially given where we're at right now with what's surrounding Michigan. Like, I haven't really gone into the sign-stealing saga. Uh, I haven't. Um, It's an elaborate scheme. It's not really a fun one to talk about, to be honest with you. I think it's easily controllable if we were just to get rid of signals altogether and just put the radios in the headset that the NFL uses. That way, you can just have a direct line of communication from the coordinator to the quarterback or the coordinator to the defensive player that you want to designate as the signal caller. So I think it's something that's currently easily avoidable. But I also think about it, too. And, and people are calling this rogue. Uh, why is he on the sideline if he's rogue? I, I I don't. I mean, I personally think that if people are stealing signals, is not illegal. Okay, it's not illegal. Um, it's frowned upon. It's troubling. It's irritating. But it is not illegal. But to go to the elaborate scheme that they did where they're buying tickets and they're pre-scouting and they're sending guys with video recording devices on the sideline and they have them video evidence and all this other stuff, man, it just feels nasty. So I think it's Michigan versus the world right now, more so than Ohio versus the world, because everybody and their brother wants to see Michigan fail because of what's gone on. Here with the elaborate sign-stealing saga involving Coach Stallions or Analyst Stallions or whatever the heck his name is. So We'll talk about it at some point. It's an off-season discussion. We don't want it to cloud what's great about college football because I don't like nasty stories. But we will get to it as time goes along. Let's go to Zach. Thoughts on James Madison 7-0 start and their bull ban? Uh, it's disgraceful. Not the 7-0 start. <laughs> It's disgraceful that the NCAA wants to die on this hill as teams transition from FCS to FBS. It's as if the transition isn't difficult enough, but you know what just because it's just because we can you're not going to the postseason and we'll take it one step further we're not even going to acknowledge your existence as it relates to stats you know that F that James Madison has or at least had. I don't know if they still do. They have the number one ranked rush defense in college football. But the NCAA doesn't acknowledge that. They just don't exist. It's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. And, and I know that it's, some of it's financial and you know the risk when you make the leap. I understand all of that. But ultimately what you're doing is you're hurting the kids that have earned the right to play in the postseason. And if you feel good about doing that NCAA, by all means, do what you got to do but it's wrong. It's wrong. So they should be eligible for the postseason. They should be eligible for their conference title game. And they should have a chance if things keep going the way they go to play in a New Year's six game, because right now they're in the mix alongside Air Force and Tulane. James Madison is very much in the mix and should be in the mix to play in the New Year's six, but they can't. Why? Because the NCAA is ridiculous and they want to flex on a team that is doing what's right. I digress. Let's go to Jared. Imagine a world in which the CFP is number one, Michigan, number two, Alabama, number three, Georgia, number four, Ohio State. The ratings would go through the roof and the haters would be miserable. Is it possible? I actually would probably push back a bit. I think the ratings would be significant, but they're always probably going to be significant when you take into account that you have the Rose Bowl and Sugar Bowl, it's on Jan 1. They're going to be massive ratings whatsoever. But I actually think the appetite amongst the casual college football fan is the desire to have some new blood in the playoff. I I don't know that for sure. I I personally, you could play the game on Mars between Mount Union and Wisconsin Whitewater and I'm going to watch it. I, I don't care. Like I love college football, and that's why I watch every single FCS game. I watch the D2 title game. If there's a D2 game on on TV, I'm watching it there in December leading up to bowl games. I'm watching all the bowl games. Like I love college football. I'm going to watch no matter what. I do think the casual fan, though, does wonder what if. Now, TCU was an example last year. If Michigan gets to the title game against Georgia, would the ratings improve drastically? Probably so. Michigan has a much larger fan base than TCU, but there was a lot of interest. And I think a lot of casual, casual interest in whether or not TCU, this Cinderella program can potentially shock the world. I think having regionality in the sport is also important. Now, we've completely abandoned that with conference realignment. I acknowledge that. But you have two teams from the same region against two teams from the same region. While the Big Ten and the SEC, that there's no love lost between the rivalries of the conferences, I think having a Washington in there would be advantageous to ratings. Even though Washington doesn't necessarily move the needle on the same level as that of of an Ohio State, I think the West Coast would kind of rally behind what the Huskies might be able to do. I think if Florida State gets in, That would be a massive story. Mike Norvell, slowly building, slowly, gradually building to the point in which they now are a legitimate college football playoff contender. Can they get over the hump? That would be advantageous. So while, yeah, I think the ratings, if you were to take Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, and Bama, would be massive. They would also, I think, be really, really massive if you included some teams that haven't been there in quite some time, like a Washington or a Florida State. That's just my thought, but I don't know. I'm not a casual fan. (laughs) I'm watching no matter what. So I can't speak to the watching habits of the casuals. It's not my thing. Let's go to Andrew. If UGA goes undefeated in the regular season but loses in Atlanta, will they still make the college football playoff? The answer is I don't know. If you lose your conference title game, you are completely at the mercy of what happens around you. And we just went through earlier in the show, 16 teams that I think are in control of their own destiny. If you want to add some others, could LSU potentially be a team that might be able to control their own destiny, even with two losses? I I don't think so because Florida state, even if they were to lose a game down the stretch and you see what Florida state has remaining, it's probably unlikely. Maybe they lose one, but will they lose two? Probably not. Even if they do, they're probably still going to be ahead of LSU in the rankings. Why? Because they beat them head to head. Uh, And Florida state has a pretty dang impressive resume as we've talked about just a little bit earlier. So, The answer is, I don't know. Because if you have a one loss conference champion from the Pac-12, one or zero loss conference champion from the Pac-12, whether it's Oregon State or Washington or Oregon or Utah, one or zero losses from the Pac-12, you're probably in pretty good shape. If you have a team from the Big 12 that has one or zero losses and wins their conference, a la and Oklahoma, maybe a Texas, they rally, they get healthy and they make a run down the stretch. You have a one-loss champion in Alabama. You laid it out, Andrew. They beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. They're obviously going to be ahead of Georgia. And then you have a one-loss or zero-loss team from the ACC that wins their conference title. They're going to be in. The Big Ten, same to be said for them. Right now, there's two teams that are undefeated. So to answer your question, I don't think they will be. And part of it is because right now, Georgia's non-conference schedule, which they can control, is not really all that impressive. Meanwhile, Ohio State played against Notre Dame and took care of the buckeye I and mean, took care of the irish in that instance so if ohio state's sitting there as a 11 to 1 conference runner up then would they maybe get the benefit of the doubt against a 12 and 1 georgia that i don't know the question too but i do know that if you want to be guaranteed a spot in the college football playoff you better win the sec win the sec with one or zero losses that will guarantee your spot. Let's go to Hayden. If Oregon wins out and wins the Pac-12 against Washington, what do you think the odds are of both teams making the college football playoffs? Similar circumstances with what I just discussed with Georgia. I don't think it's likely this year that we have two teams from one conference make the college football playoff. I don't think it's likely. Why? Because I think every conference is really strong. There have been years in which you can look at the ACC and say, you know what, they're just not really that that good beyond Clemson. you know. But they're, that's not the case this year. I mean, the ACC is pretty deep. Louisville's played good football. North Carolina's played good football. I know bad losses for each of those two teams the last couple of weeks. Duke's been pretty good as well. Florida State's obviously in a cut above, but the ACC is really strong. The Pac-12, as always taken a lot of heat about the depth of the league, how good of the league, how much parity is in the league, all those other things. Well, the Pac-12 is in a real good position of strength right now, but so is the Big 12 with two legitimate front runners. The SEC has three teams right now that are playing high-level football between Georgia, Alabama, and LSU. So I don't think it's likely that we get two teams from one league in the college football playoff. We've already talked about the Big 10. I, mean, I think the Big 10 might be best positioned to get two teams in the college football playoff, depending on what happens with Ohio State and Michigan down the stretch. If Michigan runs the table and Ohio State's sitting there at 11-1, will they value a Pac-12 runner-up in the conference title game at 12-1 over an 11-1 Ohio State that lost to Michigan close at Michigan with wins against Penn State and a win against Notre Dame? I don't know the answer to that. I don't think they will. I think they'll value the conference title, and I'm not sure the runner-up will be given the benefit of the doubt. This adds extra energy to conference championship Saturday, which we can all get behind at least at the moment. Let's go to Vic Stansbury. Who would you say is the best one-loss group of five team? Uh, well, should we just say group of five team in general? Or should we, should we just say one-loss group of five team? Because if we take one-loss group of five team, then that eliminates James Madison, that eliminates Air Force. And it leaves us pretty much with one team, and that's Tulane. Tulane right now, I think, is actually the best group of five team. They have one loss, and that was to Ole Miss, a team that we clearly have a ton of respect for, and that was without their starting quarterback, and the game was a seven-point game with three minutes to play. Now, they ended up losing by 17. Ole Miss went down, kicked a field goal to make it a 10-point lead, and then they returned to fumble to the house to make the game look a little bit better. But that was with the backup quarterback. So I think Tulane should get credit for scheduling Ole Miss in the non-conference and at least throwing their best punch against a high level, comp- uh, highly competitive team. So I think Tulane is the top group of five team if I had to pick at the moment. And then finally, Nedham's interior decorator. How many teams from the Big Ten make it to the college football playoff? You guys clearly have the CFP on your mind. Understandable. I think one team. Said it over and over again, rinse and repeat. I think one team right now, but in the event in which Michigan beats Ohio State, Ohio State obviously still has a really strong resume. They might still have a chance, but it depends on what happens into the other power five leagues. We do it every week. What I love, what I hate. This week, there's really not a lot that I hate, except for one thing. It stands out. You'll understand in a minute. There are a couple things I love. I love that Oklahoma State is making Bedlam relevant again. Because for a moment there, at least early in the season, this is our last chance at Bedlam, right? This is the last chance that we're going to be able to watch the Pokes and the Sooners go at it. Oklahoma's leaving. Oklahoma State's not happy about it. Oklahoma State hosts Oklahoma. So that's going to be a crazy hostile environment a week from Saturday. And there was a time there when it looked like Oklahoma State wasn't going to hold up their end of the bargain. Well, boom, flipped the switch. They've now won three in a row with a really convincing win last week and a great fourth quarter performance. They're now running the football like you wouldn't believe. They beat Kansas State a couple weeks ago. Oklahoma State is turning things around drastically after what was a two and two start. So I love that Oklahoma State's playing good football again because I have had Bedlam circled all offseason. And I hope it delivers next week. We just need Oklahoma to beat Kansas, and we need Oklahoma State to win this week. And then you have a six-and-two Oklahoma State against an eight-no can- uh against an eight-no uh Oklahoma. That's good stuff. That's good stuff for the college football fandom that we have here at Always College Football. I love that Virginia Tech's playing on a Thursday night. Y'all remember back in the day when Thursday night, and I know the NFL has kind of encroached on our Thursday night opportunities as a sport. But Thursday night used to be kind of like a holiday, so to speak, for college football fans. This was before the NFL played Thursday nights every week. But it was like a holiday, man. You were so excited. You couldn't wait. You had waited Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and you just had that Thursday night game that you were looking forward to. And it was going to be Louisville uh, against you know Georgia Tech. It was going to be NC State, you had a bunch of ACC teams, you had a bunch of Big 12 teams, you had like a West Virginia playing against an Oklahoma State. I mean, there were like a bunch of really good Thursday night games. And then remember Friday too, Friday was great. Boise State felt like they played every Friday. I felt like I was always sitting in my hotel room watching Boise State there on Friday night, but you had some Pac-12 games, still have Pac-12 games on Friday nights, but we've seen more and more games kind of move to Friday night, and we've also seen a lot of midweek action now with Conference USA. Maction will get going here pretty soon. I love what we have right now on Tuesdays and Wednesdays here in college football. The Thursdays has just kind of been punted on, man. I'm glad that it's coming back. We've seen a couple games the last couple years. We saw Utah obviously play against Florida. We saw... Uh, We saw Pitt-West Virginia last year. We saw Purdue-Penn State. We've seen a handful of games on Thursday that have been awesome, but not nearly enough. So I love that Virginia Tech is making Thursday night feel important again. Here's what I hate. Oh, I really hate it. I really, really hate it. Uh, I hate when people that played the sport played the sport Understand what it's like to be on a team. Understand what it's like to sacrifice for the greater good. Tweet things out suggesting that star players shouldn't play anymore because there's nothing left to play for. Because the only reason why you play college football is to win a national championship or a Heisman Trophy. Those are the, that's the only reason. No, it's not, it's not because the game's fun or because you owe it to your teammates to... To give them the best chance to be successful, or because it's, you know, it's you're representing a school, you're representing something bigger than yourself. It's it's not because of any of those things. And also, by the way, nowadays here in 2023, it's certainly not because of NIL. It's not because you as a as a reigning Heisman Trophy winner have made two and a half million dollars before we even got into August. I mean, it's certainly not for any of those reasons. But we have people that have actually played the game suggesting that players should sit out in the mid-season to avoid potential injury risk. That it's absolutely like at what point are we recognizing that that is the most selfish thing? If I was a part of that person that tweeted out, and I won't say his name, wonder why he doesn't deserve that. Like he can go spew his hot takes on whatever platform it is that he's on right now because I really don't even know. But. If you honestly think that we are in a position to su- start suggesting that players start sitting things out in the midseason and to, quote, quit on your team, because that's what we do. We always say opt out, right? Opt out, always opting out, always opting out. No, 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 no. You're quitting. That, that's the correct word. You're quitting. And that includes bowl games. That includes midseason. Whenever you decide to shut it down, that you are quitting. And that's fine. And if you want to be labeled a quitter, that's by all means. And by the way, I don't think Caleb Williams is going to do any of this. He's going to play. Why? Because he owes it to his team. He owes it to you, the USC Trojans to give them a chance. I, I just don't understand it. I just, for the life of me, I will never understand it. And I hate it. I hate it that it's all about the individual now. College is not some medium to get you to the NFL. College is a platform. College is a platform. And while USC has benefited greatly from Caleb Williams' contributions over the last couple years, they have. There's no denying that. Like they've done a great job. Great job. And Caleb Williams has provided so much for the USC Trojans. He has. He's given it, he's given it all he's got. Whether you like Caleb, you don't like Caleb or whatever, he's, he's played his tail off. He's given so much to USC. And USC should be grateful for Caleb's contributions. Caleb has also benefited from USC as well. Because... If you put Caleb on, you know, run-of-the-mill U, yeah, he's an electric player, but there are people that want to see USC. There are people that want to see the Trojans take the field. There's a reason why USC played football before Caleb Williams arrived, and they will play football after Caleb Williams arrived. And guess what? There will still be people that watch after Caleb Williams departs the program. And there were a lot of people that watched before he got there as well. So while, yeah, the players absolutely gain and the schools gain from the players' contributions, the players also benefit from what the school provides them as well. So to suggest to a player that he should shut it down is absurd. And the fact that it came from a guy that actually played, shame on you. It's honestly flat out embarrassing. Thanks so much for being with us today. I've, I'm a little bit of a, I'm a little cranky today, in case you couldn't tell. I'm just a little on edge. So maybe it's because of, you know, the world series and my Dodgers aren't involved. Like maybe that's what it is. I don't know what the deal is, but I'm just in a little bit of a testy mood today. So I appreciate your patience with us here on always college football. Please continue to like, rate, and subscribe. We really appreciate you. We do. We really appreciate you. We appreciate everything that you guys have given us so far, and we promise we continue to deliver the best possible content that you could ask for. If you could just subscribe to the podcast, like the podcast, rate the podcast, leave a review, whatever you want to do. We really, really appreciate it. If you're on the ESPN YouTube channel, hit that thumbs up. That'd be really, really great. If you could hit that thumbs up, be awesome. Subscribe to the ESPN college football channel. That'd be great as well. We'll be back tomorrow with a full breakdown of this weekend's action. We have a bunch of good games to look forward to, and we are almost to November. That's when we start to separate the good from the great, the elite from the good, and all the other things that we do here as we navigate throughout the season on Always College Football. So for all of us here at Always College Football, from Mark, Jake, Jack, I'm Greg. We hope you have a wonderful day, and remember, it's Always College Football.